Howdy doody folks and welcome to the Fallon Forum. Here we are in Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, doing our best to bring you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. I'm Ed Fallon, my co-host today, Charles Goldman. Hello, Charles. How are you? How's it going, Ed? It's going well. Hey, folks, if you value what we do, we need your support. Visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business or nonprofit, consider becoming a sponsor. Speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe at Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods, with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-paid basis. Contact DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. So, Charles, what have you been up to this week? Oh, that's a good. That's actually a good question. I know. I know. I'm springing a real tough one. That is a tough right question. Early well, in the show, when here. you have an eight-year-old who's not in school. <laughs> yeah, it's a oh, lot of your day. Yeah, yeah, right. So we've been entertaining Grayson. Yeah. Mostly. Good. Mostly. And and when he's not being entertained, what's happening? Uh, I'm trying to keep up on things. Okay, you know, all right. Just read up on uh, the world. Okay. You know, getting secondary, secondary PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of PTSD, I wonder what it was like down in the Titan, going down to hopefully view the Titanic and suddenly... Um, Actually, they probably had a pretty quick, uh, painless death. It's not like the implosion was huge. Um, it happened so quickly, they probably didn't even realize it happened. Because um, at that pressure, 15, you know, what was it, 1,500 uh, pounds per square inch or yeah. something of pressure through a small hole in the hull would have just shattered the hole into uh, multiple pieces, multiple pieces that okay. were accelerated to like you know right. faster than the speed of sound. Plus, um, yeah, I mean it, it, it was a, a horrendous end to think about, but probably for them the best they could have hoped for in that situation. It's only better than sitting down at the bottom waiting to so, run out of air. I can't call them lucky. No, no, they weren't lucky, but I mean... Um, <laughs> well, here's who else isn't lucky, the taxpayers. I mean, we don't even know the tab for this thing because the uh, Coast Guard won't tell us, but the best estimates I've come up with from research online, between $1.2 million and $6 million, uh, that's the rescue. The rescue effort costs well, probably well over a million. And uh, my question is, why why don't the uh, the five billionaires slash or, or millionaires, they were all... The two of them were billionaires. Why aren't their estates picking up the tab? Why, why, why do the taxpayers get stuck paying for these kinds of rescues? Because my understanding these, is... These crazy adventures. They actually, by statute, by federal statute, they can't charge for rescues. They can't. That's correct. Well, that I mean, the, the, part of the mission of the Coast Guard is, you know, search and rescue. Yeah. For, and... You know, I, I mean, a lot of people have been talking about this, and I think there's been two lines of thought. One kind of along your thought which is they paid a lot of money to go down there the company yeah, 250,000 a piece be have some liability um, others say well what how come no one cared about you know the migrant vessel off of Greece that went under right. well, Good 500 point. people were killed yep. and the Greek navy didn't intervene um, but ultimately there's a lot of foolhardy things that happen that causes the coast guard to have to go out sure. I, I wonder sometimes whether if I was in the coast guard you know, you get the call and you have some idiot 
you know, out in a sailboat who took off from a port knowing full well that there's hurricane coming, yeah. right? And now they're out there trying to find them. Um, you know, people do foolhardy things in national parks. I mean, sure. I'm actually my favorite on that topic. In 1980, uh, I don't remember the guy's name, but there was a. Oh yeah, yeah. He was. Um, well, the, the there was a ranger who's who's since written a couple books. Uh, Butch uh, Farabee. He's a ranger who wrote books. And he talked about one incident where uh, a rich lawyer um, who hadn't figured out just how big of a hike it was from the Grand Canyon to the top. He couldn't pull it off in time to get to an important meeting he had the next day, so we called and requested a helicopter rescue. Didn't it wasn't really he wasn't really dying or right. He was just late for a meeting, and he thought a helicopter should come and pick him up. Park ranger said no. Well, so. <laughs> but but no. In actuality, though, you know, I, I I've gone down to the Grand Canyon multiple times, and I've backpacked in and stayed down in the canyon, but. You know, you walk down in the summer and you see people carrying a can of soda and they're wearing flip-flops. Yeah. And then they get down halfway down like the Indian Wells, you know, um, and they can't make it back up, right? So now how are you supposed to get those people out? And, it, you know, and you've got people who go into the slot canyons in Zion, for instance, at a time when they're told to stay out of those slot canyons because it may rain. and then yeah. Get, yeah. No, I, I think Arizona has it figured out. You won't hear me say this too often. Arizona has it figured out, right? Right. Arizona has a law called the, the Stupid Motorist Law, and if uh, it, basically if a driver uh, does something stupid, like ignores a barricade on a submerged road, uh, and then they have to be rescued, they're required to pay the bill. So I don't know why the Coast Guard shouldn't be required to do the same. I get it. If somebody legitimately... Well, the concern is uh, it leaves it out there as to what's a legitimate rescue, and they really don't want people thinking twice about calling for help, is their argument. Right, but, but wouldn't it deter, wouldn't knowing that you had to pay the tab if you were in need of a rescue deter somebody from doing something really stupid that's purely adventuresome? I mean, take this guy, this guy, Steve Fawcett. He, he's, 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 he's got a history. He's this really rich guy who years ago tried to circumvent the, nat, the, the globe twice in a balloon. Mm -hmm. once, he, once he fell down to the ocean uh, 500 miles off Australia, another time off of Hawaii, both times he got rescued in the Australian incident, it was Australian military, I think, and the French military mm -hmm. had to save his butt. He also crash landed somehow in the, the mountains of Nevada once and had to be rescued a third time. I mean, how many rescues are justified for one idiot rich guy who just wants to go on expensive, you know, you know, ill-advisable adventures? Well, I think that's sort of where the outrage is, which yeah. is that once again, the, the commons funds these sorts of activities, many of which are the result of people who have the resources to do things like own, you know, some yeah. ocean going sailboat or sure. who decides they want to, you know, hot air balloon, a hot air balloon around the or world. Or submersible, some, whatever they call the, uh, but on the, the other Titan. hand, on the, you know, on the other hand, there's, there is the benefit to the, the practice of going out there and doing this search. Um, but it, it, yeah, I, that, I, my that. bigger problem is not the money. In this case, it's the money. My bigger problem is when they put other people at risk for people's own, you know, someone's own foolhardiness. Sure. You know, and, and, you know, there have been, you know, situations where searchers have died looking mm -hmm. for people who shouldn't have been where they, you know, or the people who, who base jump in Yosemite and when they have to go find the body, you know. Right. So what else is on my mind this week? 
I'm, you know, I'm kind of straying from the real important life-threatening issues like climate change and and uh, nuclear war and the failure of democracy. Um, my mind is wandering to things like why why all the uh, the uh, stress over the term pregnant person versus pregnant woman. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, there are people being chastised for not saying pregnant person. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that at least about 99.99% of the people I know who get pregnant are women. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, 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 don't, I, don't know, I don't know why there is so much um, time spent trying to figure out a way to say something other than what we have said for, for so long. And that really nails, you know, nails the situation pretty accurately. Yeah, and, and there's there's actually um, there was a short article about a adjunct adjunct professor who gave a student a zero because on a paper because they used the the term biologic female. Again, another one of these you know every everybody has to all language has to be inclusive all issues have to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. You but, know, and my I'll tell you my biggest problem with this is that if you want to lose political arguments, make these kind of arguments, okay? Right, yeah, <laughs> really. You know, <laughs> yes, I understand that there is the possibility of a non-biologic female having a child, all right? They don't represent a large proportion of the people capable of birthing children right. in the world. And specific to the issue of abortion, it's been terminology that has been a key to convincing people that this is somehow an issue important to them. It's been terminology. It's been the uh, changing interpretation of scripture that somehow has come up with this. But, you know, for instance, um, the issue of, that we talked about last week, the heartbeat bill, it's all terminology, okay? Sure, yeah. It's not a heartbeat, right? And if it is a heartbeat then why are you saying it's okay to end the pregnancy at six weeks, but not later on? So I was fascinated by a study done by a professor at uh, Coventry University, at Jenny Gamble. Uh, it was a, um, a study of the, uh, the uh, it included, included a study of the, of the, of the terminology. Mm-hmm. And the concern was that uh, when you stop saying pregnant woman, women, you, you really, you, you, you shift the focus away from, the reality that is faced by pregnant women. Uh, and uh, what she says, she's also, quote, confusing the identity, sorry, confusing the idea of gender identity and the reality of sex risks adverse health consequences and deeper and more insidious discrimination against women. Sex as a reproductive category, gender a societal role, and gender identity an inner sense of self are not synonymous but are being treated as if they are. I think that's a really good point. That, that's correct. Yeah, and but again, this is this is a this is a great discussion to have in the halls of some university. It's not a great discussion to have because it has a huge roll your eyes factor. Yeah, which is, you know, it, it allows us to get away from issues beyond abortion. How about let's talk about the fact that you know maternal mortality in this country is outrageously high, mm-hmm. and outrageously high in particular among you know, women of color. Yeah. That, is, that is a crime. In fact, the whole drive to legalize abortion was about the mortality of the women 
in the 60, 50s, 60s, and 70s right. who had to go and get abortions outside of any sort of medical system and were dying yeah, on the, almost a daily basis. The emblem of the coat hanger. And the, uh, right. Yeah, I mean, which, right, was, right. which was somewhat of a misnomer, but nevertheless. Sure. Powerful symbol. Right. Yeah. So we're, we have a group of people who are trying to advance a, a, a political agenda that I personally agree with. But, you know, you can't keep beating people over the heads with your hyper-awareness of these things. Well, and that's and, what it is. And, and, and again, the whole trigger warning movement takes that to an, an even newer height. I mean, and, and again, I, I was, uh, <laughs> I've been, been aware of um, trigger warnings for a while. Uh, they actually trigger me, Charles. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, but uh, Brandeis University, there was a group at Brandeis University that I think really, um, you know, unintentionally told you, you know, indicated what a real problem this is. I mean, have you seen some of the... Um, the uh, phrases that they think are taboo, they, they, they came up with this list of things you should not say. I think you brought this up once before, but I, I see you have a much more extensive list well, now. Well, uh, yeah, you should not say abusive relationship. because relationship, And the reason is relationships don't perpetuate abuse. Abusers do. It is important to name that someone is responsible. I mean, that, that just seems like pure semantics to me. Um, Beating a dead horse. <laughs> okay, I guess that's animal cruelty. Uh, yeah, God. I'm sure that's why. Uh, you, you should not say killing it. Instead, say great job or awesome. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, or thanks for thanks for participating. Yeah, thanks for participating. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, yeah, my, my the real the one that really got my my attention was the, you should not say the word virgin for some reason. And Bill 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 Maher uh, he thought we should. Uh, Say person experiencing not getting laid. <laughs> uh, I mean, um, some of the stuff is just off the wall. Uh, replacing disabled person with person with a disability isn't that pretty much the same thing? Replacing addict with person with a substance abuse disorder, and replacing prostitute with person who engages in sex work. I mean, I mean all this is just. Uh, Unfortunately, there, there, there's a small sliver of the population. And, and yeah, sometimes it's um, conversations in, in university hallways well, or... way more in universities that this is, has a much more insidious effect. But, I mean, let, let's go back to one you have there, which is okay. person with a substance use disorder. Okay. There, in, in, in that sort of situation, the, the terminology is, is important because... And, it's very common because I do a lot of work with people who are opioid users for medical reasons. Um, and they themselves believe themselves to be addicts. And, and there's a difference between a physical and a psychological tolerance to uh, you know, opioid drugs and the behavior of addicts for which the procurement of the drug is basically their raison d'etre, which is that... Um, Everything takes a, a you know second seat here to being able to continue your supply of the opioid. Now you can say, well, people who are getting it through you know uh, prescriptions don't have that, but in point of fact, it acknowledges that a lot of what happens with opioids is in fact a physiologic uh, change and a, a change in, in the brain itself, okay, so which why... may be amenable to interventions. Sure, but still, why doesn't addict work? Well, addict doesn't work because a lot shorter. <laughs> it, yes, but but 
interestingly, people in medicine have exactly the same prejudice against the use of the word addict, right? So if they will often refer to people who are addicts who actually are using their opioids well within what they're prescribed to do, and it's not up to them who don't know the patient over on a chronic basis to decide that they're using too much, right? Um, that shows a, a pretty basic misunderstanding of the, of the drugs themselves. But, but the point is, is that every person who goes into an e, you know, emergency room is not there drug seeking just because they may say, this is what's worked for me in the past. This is why I would prefer this drug. Yeah, that's okay. a very, very interesting analysis, but to me it just complicates a basic situation. Somebody is, uh, is uh, dependent upon a substance that is de- detrimental to them now and will be in the future even more seriously. But, it's not, but th- again, the, the, the person who's the addict has other changes or may come in with other psychological and psychiatric changes that are very different from somebody who uses opioids chronically for chronic pain. And there are people who do have chronic pain for sure. which there can't be procedures sure. that can make it go away. And everybody wants, you know, they want, they want to microdose psychedelics. They want to go and get cannabis. And, you know, the information as a pain medicines for those, dr- for those agents, per se, you know, might be, are, are not that strong. Well, I, I, what do you think? I think we've probably spent enough time on uh, language and bailing out the rich, uh, uh, from their mis- mis- uh, misbegotten adventures. Well, what, what? <laughs> I mean, I would say that there's a bigger danger of trigger warnings that we kind of have missed, but I mean... What is know. that? Go ahead. Well, because I, I think the use of trigger warnings, what we're used to is, you know, you go to a course at a university and you're told, well, you know, there are readings here that are going to contain things that may upset you. All right, that per se is not terrible. But one of the things that does is it sets up certain expectations. Number one, you're supposed to be triggered. Right. Okay. <laughs> so therefore, if you're not triggered, there's actually something wrong with you. Right. You're insensitive. You should be triggered by it. You know. And the other is, well, let's sanitize what we're being presented with from the past so that it doesn't bother us. Hmm. Um, so that leads to both kind of the wokeism thing, mm-hmm. but it also leads to somebody like a DeSantis being able to say, we're going to sanitize history because it that's what we're sense. supposed to do. Yeah. Right? So I think trigger warnings are insidiously dangerous, you know, in, in many ways. Yeah, and, 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 the, and the, in the latter case you just described, it's a, DeSantis basically applying the whole trigger uh, warning concept to... To uh, legislation, <laughs> basically, these are the things that you you shouldn't be allowed. You shouldn't have to be confronted with books, for example, on on gay and lesbian people and trans people. We're just going to uh, avoid the necessity of warning you about them by removing them completely. Right. Okay. I just want to make sure I knew what you were saying. Yeah, I mean, as, <laughs> as I say, I think it, it, it as as many bad educational ideas have come from universities. This is one of the worst. All right. Well, hey. <laughs> Speaking of bad ideas, um, crony capitalism, uh, you know, got nailed by, um, by Mitt Romney years ago. And now it looks like uh, a lot of Republicans are thinking, well, maybe there is a problem and maybe we need to do something about it. Or maybe it's all political posturing. But we're going to take a short break. We're going to come talk about that when we come back. Uh, Charles Goldman, myself, Ed Fallon, on the Fallon Forum. Back in just a minute. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. 
Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to Westrom Optometry, where Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry in Des Moines East Village. Thanks also to Catholic Peace Ministry, founded in 1981, an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese. CPM focuses on nuclear disarmament, the need for diplomacy in Ukraine, and ending the permanent war economy. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. All right, Charles, um, I don't want to trigger you here, but um, <laughs> I, I think I, you know, I, I think I, I think Republicans might be getting quote religion when it comes to the foolhardiness of um, of uh, trickle down economics. Um, but I know uh, we want to talk about before we talk about that though. You um you have some follow up thoughts on one of last week's segments. We talked about the the Trump and the fun factor, and that's um that's a that's a clever name. It wasn't uh, we didn't think of it. It's uh, based right. on a New York Times Opinion story piece. by the same same title. Right. But you um you've seen this as quite a fun factor week for Trump. Yeah. This this was this was an awesome week, um, <laughs> which started out right after we um, finished t- you know, taping the show last week. With uh, that same evening, the um, Brett Baer Fox News interview with Trump, right? In we, which do, do we cause that? Well, <laughs> well, first of all, I mean, I, I've never seen Trump's hair look worse. I mean, he really no, we can't take credit. We can't. Getting, we can't, no, we can't, can't take credit, credit for that. that. No, he's no. really, he's really obviously stressed out about what's going on. But if, this if was, it gets this any worse, he's going to look like <laughs> Boris Johnson. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> this was the interview in which he told. Brett Bear, that the reason he had to keep the boxes was to continue to go through them because there was other stuff in the boxes. And so, <laughs> so Brett Bear asked him what else was in the box. He says, well, my golf clothes, <laughs> my golf pants, and my golf shirts. And that's why I had to take them with me to Bedminster because, you know, I don't really have a lot of time. He brought them, right, he's playing, he brought brought them from the White House. To Mar-a-Lago. And, and then, then to took him with New him Jersey. to Bedminster, that's correct, so that he can continue to go soar through them, right? And try to find his much-beloved golf pants or whatever. Well, the thing I didn't understand was why he would have cared, because clearly if they were from his presidency, he doesn't fit in them anymore. <sighs> but um, Keep hope alive. <laughs> Keep hope so alive. That, was, that was then you know, followed by the discussion about how when he was showing me 
uh, you know, the top secret Iranian attack plan that no one can seem to find. Right. That really he was just showing newspaper clippings. Or maybe his golf shorts. <laughs> or maybe the golf shirt. <laughs> right. Uh, and the golf shirt, the golf clothes were probably going to go up, you know, on Truth, Truth Social to try to fund a company that now is almost valueless. Um, you know, he's going to sell those off. So it was, it was now press clippings. So he went through the week, of course, saying those were mine to keep based on uh, advice he'd gotten from the head of Judicial Watch, who's not a lawyer, by the way, and then ended the week by saying the FBI planted the boxes at the house. And the, and the, and the, uh, and the golf clothes? <laughs> well, he didn't mention the golf clothes again. Yeah. I mean, his, the level of irrationality, he can't even be consistent within well, one there's, week. There's so many different reasons he's given for why those boxes ended up, ended up at Mar-a-Lago. But the ultimate reason, he says, they're my boxes. Yeah, I declassified them with my mind. That's my favorite reason. Well, that was a while ago. That yeah, was, that yeah, was yeah. yes. But, yeah. the, but the reason Well, keep, he learned that from uh, Marion Williamson. <laughs> Stop <laughs> it. That is so unfair. All right, so hey, speaking... <laughs> so anyway, it was, I, I thought the Fallon Forum was very prescient in oh, yeah. discussing this. Oh, yeah, we're breaking all the news here. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, Democrats have historically been the party that wants to... Um, make sure that the economy works for everybody. Republicans have kind of been associated with tax breaks for the rich, um, you know, letting, letting capitalists do whatever they want, uh, you know, staying out of the way of any kind of... Well, I mean, I think, I, think, I think we have a pretty stark difference, at least in, in theory, between the economic theories of both parties. The Republicans have, have adhered to the back-of-the-envelope, you know, um, figurings of trickle-down economics, you know, well, I mean, and George, George, uh, the old George, the elder Bush didn't. How's that? Well, he was very critical of Reagan and quote voodoo economics. Remember? Yeah, but I would say the Republican Party is still if you enrich, oh, sure. if you enrich the rich, then the benefits of the the economic activity that they're going to generate will uh, trickle down. You know, that's worked. Everybody really, else will get that's the worked drags. really well in a, right. in, a, in a society that's more uh, more stratified than ever before. Economically, correct, but so that but that's basically where they're from. And then yeah. what you know, the democratic, you know, economic theory would be that you drive, you put m more, you put money in more hands, so that they are the drivers of the economy. The you middle know, class is the driver of the economy. You know, who summed it up better than any politician I've ever heard, Senator Tom Harkin, when he said, "You don't, you don't say you want to feed the sparrows by giving the horse an extra helping of oats." Right. Well, of course. Yeah, I mean... Uh, that's trickle-down economics was, right there. I mean, literally, the trickle-down Reaganomics was a back-of-the-envelope sure. figuring by Laffer, you know, drew the Laffer curve, L-A-F-F-E-R, you know, saying that basically what we've just said, which is that yeah. if you concentrate enough activity in the hands of the wealthy, that but, will help everybody. But flaming liberal U.S. senators like J.D. Vance, Marco Rubio, Todd Young, Tom Cotton are coming forward with... Proposals and ideas that look almost uh, like the old, the old line of uh, democratic economic policies. Yeah, well, Rubio's Rubio tried that actually um, before twenty twenty. He was trying to make himself a potentially viable candidate, and so he's kind of been talking about this before. But you can, yeah, why don't you go ahead and you can. Kind well, of, well, he, I mean, you mentioned Rubio. He'd, um, he'd, uh, he'd signed a, a letter calling for. Uh, you know, revisiting collective bargaining um, and uh, praising uh, labor unions that uh, played a larger role in the economy. 
I mean, uh, that's almost on. That's almost unheard okay. of in Republican right, circles. Right. You can call for a letter all you want. Uh, you know, call mm-hmm. for this. It doesn't matter because you have a Supreme Court which is bought and paid for. Well, sure. You know, okay. through the Federalist Society to do exactly the opposite. Every decision by this court has essentially made, you know, labor unions weaker, okay, both sure. in terms of collective but, bargaining, also in terms of the right of people to, to organize in unions. But how many times do you hear a Republican U.S. senator talking about collective bargaining in a favorable way? That's that's unusual. And I guess my question is, is it, it's is it just, sincere? It's just, you don't think no, it's sincere? No. It, okay, well, the fact that he's talking about it is unusual. It's, it's, it's just you can have a resolution and say, and say, look, I voted for this resolution. Sure. It's not going to change what the party has, is clearly trying to do, which is to remove the unions as any sort of political force. So what about, what about Senator Tom Young, or Todd, rather, Todd Young from Indiana? Um, he's uh, working on bi- worked on bipartisan legislation to restrict non-compete agreements, mm-hmm. uh, th- those, uh, th- those um, regarding companies that use, uh, used to prevent their employees from leaving for jobs at a competitor. That's interesting. Right. And how many people in the United States have non-competes? Uh, what, quite what, a few. What straighter, quite a few. What, yes, but what straighter? I, I talk to the, them all the time. What straighter of the economy has non-competes? Plenty, Does somebody plenty of union members. It, doing what? You name it. I mean, gosh, all sorts of things. And and sorry, sure, you're you're tech workers as well. Right. But um, yeah, there's there's. I mean, I don't I mean, have any data on that. That would be fine. I, I mean, that would be fine. But that's my something. Next door, my next some, door neighbor has a non-compete clause. You know, I mean, I talk to people all the time who have those. So to me, that's like okay. Here's another U.S. senator mm-hmm. talking about something agreeable to organized labor. Yeah, and something that's really not going to affect the masters of corporations. Well, okay, uh, yeah, it, it, you could consider it an opening salvo toward a a revised perspective on the economy, moving away from the scribbling on the back of the letter of the envelope that you mm-hmm. talked about, moving away from uh, total you know uh, to- total subservience to. Reaganomics, trickle-down economics, to something that might resemble some of the progressive policies that U.S. senators like and Tom Harkin if, and Paul if, Wilson are if, if President, you know, former President Trump somehow becomes actual President Trump again, or DeSantis comes along and basically eviscerates the civil service, are any of these senators going to stand up and say, that's not right? Well, I don't know. They're setting themselves up to be... Um, to be hypocrites if they don't. Um, well, the, the hip- well, being a, hip- <laughs> yeah, being know, a hypocrite know, in this right, day right. and age is hardly a. Uh, that, and that's not. That's not. Reigns in anyone's that's behavior. That's not a partisan problem either. <laughs> no. There's plenty of hypocrisy to go around. But, right. Uh, so there's also Senator uh, J.D. Vance again, absolutely. who looked up from uh, Hunter Biden's laptop probably at the time. Right. To <laughs> talk about this. <laughs> well, somebody's got to study that laptop. There's all sorts of good stuff on there, right? So uh, he and Senator Elizabeth Warren. Um, they've collaborated on a bill to claw back executive pay at failed banks. Okay. That's not something you normally see Republicans doing? Right. So I guess my question is, is this all political posturing, or is this, does this represent a new trend in the Republican Party? I have my answer. What's yours? It's political posturing. Okay. I and even if they do some of this, they won't do anything substantive that would really change the nature of the economy. I think, see, Republicans have already made inroads in constituencies that used to be solidly Democratic. I mean, even in, in Iowa, we had a whole bunch of rural communities that were represented by Democrats. You can't find a single, you can barely find a single area of Iowa 
with any kind of rural constituency. And do you really believe it's because these people think that the Republicans have presented a better economic? No, it's not. But but they're but but I think what the problem is uh, Republicans know that okay, uh, you know, we've got to continue to find ways of uh, appeasing uh, a big enough slice of the electorate to continue to win elections because. You know, voter suppression and gerrymandering and all those other great tactics we've become really good at, they only go so far. They're going to need to find the fountain of youth is what they're going to need to find <laughs> and have these people who've been voting for them. Live forever? <laughs> Live forever. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, he, he, but, no in, in lieu of that, which I don't think is going to happen, and yeah. you probably don't either, they've, they've got to find a way to continue to make inroads into things that Democrats used to stand for and now kind of just kind of, you know, they, they, the Democrats have not made up a c- c- compelling case that they are the party of the working person. Because, I mean, not well, what, what percentage of working class voters, union members even, now vote Republican? I think it's probably, if it's not a majority, it's darn close. And, you know, Republican Party has made inroads into the Latino communities. Um, so this is another way I think Republicans are saying, okay, we've got to do better on our messaging on the economy. Uh, and we've got to back that up with an occasional an occasional victory in some realm that uh, that appeals to the base that we're trying to continue to build. That's so. No, it's it's not entirely. I mean, maybe maybe that's also a little bit. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, a, a, a type of pandering, I guess. But it's also a shift that um, you know that is intended to be intended to be uh, sincere. They they want they want voters to believe that they really are the party that's going to offer them. A better, more fair economy. Economy. Well, I mean, I think I'm in agreement with that. Which is, it's it's akin to what just happened with the Supreme Court, hmm. right? Out of the blue, they suddenly rediscovered the Voting Rights Act. Right. All right. Every decision on voting rights up to this point seems to have acknowledged, according to, you know, the Chief Justice, the issues that the Voting Rights Act was passed for are gone. Everything was fine. They didn't need to come for pre-approval for the maps down south anymore. Right. Yeah, because well, yeah, well, that's because the lost cause and the Confederate states, that, all that stuff is gone, yeah. right? And then out of the blue, that's they come the up reason. with this decision, two decisions, one in Mississippi and one in Alabama, saying, wow, I guess you guys have been really writing these maps based on race. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. News to us. Yeah. But that's not right. And so we've decided you can't do that. But then, you know, you know what... As you see, every other decision basically is what you can expect. And so this week we're going to see a couple, you know, along the same lines. Right. So you know, Mitt Romney was a—I mean, other people have said it as well—but he, he was he was noted for saying, for calling it crony capitalism, which is what some of these Republican senators are now trying to challenge, at least on on surface. Uh, the other thing I, uh, you might remember about Mitt Romney was um, uh, what he said to uh, David Goodner here in Des Moines at the state fair on the uh, soapbox. My friend, corporations are people too, and apparently, well, it um, turns out he was he was he was a, apparently he was right. He was a fortune teller. Yeah, well, I guess because in <laughs> Delaware now there are, there are, there are cities talking about allowing corporations to vote, which is insane. And there's one town, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, Seaford. It's a town of about eight thousand people. For some reason, um, despite being eight thousand people, they had really low voter turnout. Last April, there were only. Uh, 340 votes. But if they allow LLCs, trusts and corporations that are headquartered there to vote, uh, that'll be an additional 234 votes. Pretty much enough to decide anything. You know? I mean, so, I mean, don't don't corporations already have enough power without get, letting them vote? 
You don't have, you know, in other words, you don't have, you, you can live anywhere in the world. And yet if you've got a corporation in Seaford, Seaford, Delaware, you get to vote. How wrong is that? How insane is that? Well, sorry, I, sorry, Mitt Romney. I think in the, in this situation that this is one of these towns where the vast majority of people don't live there during the winter. They're mostly there. They're, they're mostly vacationing, and so their feeling was is that the people who are there year round and the corporations that are there year round do actually have more of an interest in what goes on than the people who are just there for three, four months. Wait, wait okay, the, the, the corporations who are there year-round? Okay, yeah, the well, corporations are there year-round, but I'll, I'll bet the CEOs aren't there year-round either. No, well, but they're not going to hand them a number of votes based on how many employees they have. One of the problems with, the, with what they're talking about is that there's people who are involved in multiple of these entities who would get to vote essentially multiple times, whereas... They would also run it that if somebody is just a commoner who voted, just a commoner, but might have some interest <laughs> in these corporations, they don't get to vote right. again. So, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I kind of can see that you, they're looking for a way for the the people or entities that do have a year-round interest in this small town to have something to say about what happens there, well, as opposed I, to people who are, who are, for the most part, not there most of the time. Anybody can have an interest in any particular town, whether you live there or not. Maybe you visited for a week, a year. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean you should get to vote there. Hey, final word. All right. All right. Hey, we got to run to a break. Sure. I got the final word this time. Okay. Tough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, when we come back, uh, Charles Goldman here again with me here at Fallon on the Fallon Forum. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to, we're going to talk about uh, the return of Earth's problem child. And no, that's not Charles. It's eight-year-old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Years ago, Chef George Fromaro envisioned a new market to house all his favorite foods under one roof in the heart of Des Moines. From that vision, Gateway Market was born. Over the years, Gateway has become Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood encourages discovery and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, experience the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Catholic Peace Ministry was founded in 1981 to work for peace and justice. It's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese and is guided by an ecumenical board representing many faith traditions. CPM focuses on the urgency of nuclear disarmament and the need for diplomacy in Ukraine. CPM also provides an educational forum about the permanent war economy, which must be challenged if we are to achieve lasting peace and justice. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village.
Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to our sponsors, including Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, Dr. Charles Goldman with me, folks. Uh, and um, I, it was described by one publication as the return of Earth's problem child, um, which I thought was a clever way to describe El Nino, which, of course, in Spanish means the, the boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, 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 um, it all starts out in the Pacific Ocean, but the currents shift every so often. It's, it's, not, it's not an exact number of years, but we've been in a La Nina period. Right. And drier cooler and so, and now the problem child el nino is returning well except that the ocean is actually warmer yeah it's supposed to be cooler it's supposed to be it's yeah. supposed to have cool because yeah it, it's based on like 10 know, changes that we don't totally understand in the trade winds but basically you know el nino is the trade winds around the equator are taking the surface water which is warmer and they they push it over toward the west toward right. australia and sure. asia um, and then it, it, that generates cool water rising up and in in the void left by the, the the surface water that's pushed to the west that water moves to the east so generally an el nino should be a a although not consistent right um you know it it it, it does bring cooler water up that creates in certain parts of the continents to the east a um, drier and potentially cooler. But unfortunately, we're starting already at a super high level of heat uh, in, in the water, and it's going to get worse. So did I have it backwards? No, no, no. You're correct. You're correct. I thought I was right, but the way it, you it, described well, it. Well, you're correct. But the thing is, it, it has different effects depending on which side of the water movement you are. Okay. Yeah, you and, are. And, of course, since we're in America and we only care about the northern hemisphere and specifically right. this part of it. Right. So the La, uh, yeah, yeah, the, <laughs> La, the La Nina should have cooled the waters off of our continent. Yeah, it didn't happen. But it didn't happen. Well, and the, the temperature off of Ireland and uh, to the uh, northeast of England... Uh, it's like ten degrees warmer than normal up there, mm. which would be uh, which would be great for some of the beach, beach traffic in Galway and Sligo and those places. But yeah, it's right. not it's not good for marine life. I mean, some is, well, it's destroying the the Atlantic currents sure. that take the supposedly cool water from up north, bring them down toward the east coast of the Labrador, States, Nova Scotia, right, and then down New England, into Florida, yeah. and a lot of the migration of you know whales and other and others is based on that yeah and that's why you're seeing spawning grounds for whales way further south than you saw before so some 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 the i know there's only a sliver of climate deniers left out there and i and i have a few that write to me every week but um (laughs) you know the the uh in 2015 and 16 i think 2016 remains the warmest year on record that's correct that was the last year that was the last at el nino of el nino that's correct and then we have a supposedly a period of time of about three of the last six years, there was a La Nina, which should have cooled things down in terms of ocean temperature. It did a bit compared to what it would have been, but not yeah, not 
anything close to what right. it, it should have. Anyway, we should be we should be expecting some pretty tough times ahead. I mean, it's uh, it's just starting. Right. The trend is observable. It's just starting, and it will mean um, we've already seen uh, an extremely warm June. Uh, perhaps the warmest I have. I'm not quite sure the data is completely in yet, but uh, really, I mean, here in Iowa, I, I can tell you that it's been pretty darn warm here. Yeah, and in some other parts of the world, I know you, you see about you see heat waves that are deadly in India right now. And um, well, the then, other concerning thing is is that we're already in a drought here, mm-hmm. and you know one of the consequences of an El Nino is that northern climes do tend to be drier. And so the question, but there are some places they get a hell of a lot of moisture. The southeastern United States, in El Nino years, yeah. does tend to get inundated with water. That's correct. And a lot of it is just harsh, just more severe storms. Yes, and a lot, yeah. Cumulatively, there it's wetter, but you're right. It tends to come down as deluges, which in many ways, because of the way we've paved over so much of where we live, are of very little value in terms of replenishing groundwater, yeah. and it just runs off into the ocean. Well, who will save us for, save us from <clears throat> El Nino? Well, um, all, other Ninos. Uh, <laughs> the, all, the, all other Ninos. Well, the, 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 the Ninos of Montana. Uh, the, uh, the, a group of youth in Montana have sued the state because of uh, their negligence toward their future, their um, unwillingness to do anything to address the climate crisis, in fact, their willingness to, to further it. And... Um, it's uh, an interesting case. It's very much like the case, uh, the Giuliano versus the um, the uh, the U.S. government in the case filed by I think twenty or so kids across the country, and, and Giuliano was a, was one of the mm-hmm. you know, young participants in the Great March for Climate Action, and that uh, you know that received a lot of attention and generated some really important discussion. Um, and I think we're going to see more and more of these types of suits uh, by young people saying, "Hey, you are you are you're basically foreclosing on our future." Uh, so I don't know. I, I I'm 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 pleased and encouraged that the these these uh, this group of youth has brought this suit forward. What do you think, Charles? I mean, I don't know enough about the issue of of standing to bring the suit. I mean, you would think, at least in a, in a layperson's view that they would have standing since it is their future. But I'm not sure that, you know, under the state constitution in Montana, that they're going to be able to interpret them as having standing. Well, the state Maybe they need a couple of, like, Republican attorney generals. <laughs> they can they can bring bring the suit with them <laughs> since they well, always the, seem to have standing, even if it doesn't relate to the yeah, state yeah, right. or when they don't. So right? the Montana state constitution does say that the state and each person shall maintain and improve a clean and healthful environment in Montana for present and future generations. That puts a lot of burden not just not just on the state, but on mm-hmm. every individual. Right. But that's in there, and I think that's part of what they're basing their, their case on. And that. Uh, and what, what would they be suing to get? Uh, I don't know what, they're, what, they're, what, what, the, uh, what they hope to accomplish uh, in terms of a you know, settlement. But, um, you know, I, I mean, it's just... Uh, I, 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 you could have one of these in every state, in every country. I mean, there's, there's no doubt that... Uh, that the leadership of the past century uh, has neglected a problem that has been known about at least since the 70s. I mean, we remember James Hansen coming to Congress and saying, hey, we've got climate change going on. He was, he was with NASA at the time. Of course, we have the, um, the, uh, the, um, re- the, the, the research from Exxon 
Exxon knew back in the 70s that, that its product was causing climate change and that climate change was going to be cataclysmic. And they took great measures to stop it. Oh, no, sorry, that's not what happened. They just continued to do what they did. And that fire, in, in fact, they hired uh, a firm to continue to lie about the reality of climate change. So, I mean, I, I, to me, there's, there's great grounds to stand on in terms of any, any angle you want to take on this. Uh, governments ignoring science, corporations willingly doing the wrong thing despite their own scientific proof. You know, come on. I mean, there's, in a just world, this would be a slam dunk. Now, of course, what the solution should be, how do you, you know, you, you have to change everything immediately, actually, ideally 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I, know, I know you probably see it as theater, but to me it's well, important theater. And it may have it may have important consequences. I'm just concerned about that. This is one of those things where if you ask people about climate change, uh, the majority of people at this point, particularly people who are younger, will say that they do believe that it is ongoing, that it is causing damage. But then when you would turn to the same people and say, "Well, what are you willing to do about it? What would you change in your life?" You know, people are not always so forthcoming. I mean, they've asked no. people, how much more would you be willing to pay on your electric bill? You know, if it, it would allow for subsidizing, you know, more solar, you know, solar farms or more wind farms, you know, um, and people say like a dollar or two dollars. That's hardly okay. a self-worth no, no, commitment. See, I think that's the problem. You, this is not a question of what would you do, individual person, to fix climate change. The problem is not the individual. Okay, yes. In the end, the ind individuals have to change, but the problem is the framework of policies that are in place and the, uh, the, the laissez-faire uh, regulations that allow corporations to do whatever they want and to get away with even, in the case of Exxon, as I said, lying about the problem so they can continue to enrich themselves and enrich themselves at greater and greater levels all the time. Heck, even during the pandemic, um, big corporations found ways of getting richer than ever. And how is that not morally compromised? How is that? Un that's unconscionable. That should be actionable at a legal level. It, shouldn't, it certainly should be actionable at a political level. So to me, to dump it on the individual and say, okay, well, how many more dollars would you be willing to pay on your utility bill to fight climate change? My answer is, don't talk to me. Go talk to the head of these companies. Go talk to the U.S. Senate. Go talk to the U.S. president. Go talk to the heads of China and India and every other country in the world that has failed to step forward and meet the challenge. That's my answer. Well, that's a great answer, but I don't see where that's going to stop climate change. I mean, you've well, got countries that, are, that need, have need, a billion people, like India, some of whom are still burning, you know, cow chips to cook their food over. And they're saying, why are we living this way? You know, they have access to the Internet. They see where how other people live. I mean, it's great to say it, but until... I just don't think people are willing to reduce consumption and comfort to, to right. make this happen. And people aren't willing to wear seatbelts either unless it becomes the law. Uh, corporations aren't willing to not dump their toxins in a river unless it becomes a law. Well, this, so there's that, hardly anything about our structure now that's going to stand in the way of that. I mean, one of the Supreme Court decisions this session eviscerated the Clean Waters Act right. over somebody who wanted to fill in a property to build a house near a lake, yeah. you know, a wetland. 
Yeah. So, so I, I just, I mean, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just don't right. see that this, this is something people can't say. It's like treating hypertension. Yeah. Right. No one wants to treat hypertension until they have a stroke when they're in their 50s and 60s and say, "Wow, I wonder how this happened." Yeah. So to me, the the best answer, if you the, the hypothetical 20 year old, what are you going to do to fight climate change? The best answer would be is I'm going to vote the right people into office, and I'm going to stop doing business with companies that do the wrong thing. Yeah, I, I, I think yeah. that's great. Charles, thanks so much for joining us today. Folks, uh, next week I'm going to be gone, and with uh, much fear and trepidation, I'm turning the microphone over to this this, this hoof here, <laughs> and we'll see where that goes. Uh, Charles, if, you, if, you, if, you get, uh, if the FCC comes after me, I'm blaming you. Yeah, I'll be careful. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, have big, right. we'll have that big mute button. <laughs> <laughs> the big mute button. The, the dump button. The dump button going. Like, you're going to wear it out. You're going to wear it out. <laughs> That's right. All right, Charles, thanks for joining us, folks. I'm going to come back in a minute. Uh, Kathy Burns will join us. We're going to be talking about the significant and alarming drop in honeybee populations and what that might mean for food production. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Kathy Burns, welcome to the program. Good to have you here. And I think we're going to be talking about honeybee populations and some of the um, concerns. I mean, it's, always, it's been a concern for years, the, the, the uh, challenges that honeybees are facing, but apparently... Some new data in that is also problematic. Yeah, we should uh, note that we are beekeepers and not uh, certainly to the extent that some other people do it. We have six active hives right now. The reports that ha have just come out are about commercial bees, not native bees, or you might think of them as wild bees. But uh, the population declines in commercial bees can help us understand what's going on in the native bee populations as well. So it's up, uh, what, a 48% loss mm -hmm. during the, the, quote, bee calendar year, which runs mm -hmm. from April 1st of 2022 mm -hmm. to this past April 1st. And uh, that's a pretty big loss. Nearly half the hives died. Uh, yes. Uh, do yes. I read that correctly? Correct. Yeah. And uh, this is 
up from the previous year's loss of 39% loss, which is still very big. The 12-year average loss is about 39.5%. Okay, so this is a significant increase. Uh, and maybe it's a one-time mm-hmm. hit or maybe it's a new trend, but what, are they, what do they blame for the, um, for the uh, loss? The most noted causes for these declines are parasites of mites being the main yeah. culprit that, that people know very much about lately because uh, when they were introduced, they, they really started the decline. Pesticides, starvation due to basically industrial ag's increased monocropping. There's one kind of crop. It grows in a certain season. It takes up all the land that bees would normally have a diverse hmm. number of plants to forage from throughout their their uh, nectar and pollen gathering season, and effects of climate crisis. How is how is climate change affecting the uh, colonies? One example is this past January in Washington D.C. The temperatures got up to 80 degrees Fahrenheit in that month, and some bees came in January. out. Yeah, Hmm. some bees started to come out of their, what you'd call a hibernation prematurely. Then the temperatures, of course, returned to normal and the bees froze and died. Hmm. Okay. Now, we've been fortunate. Uh, We kept three hives in the winter and we managed to get them all through the winter. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have enough food, apparently. We did treat for varroa mites. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a friend who we admire greatly who is trying to develop bees that don't require treatment. That would be wonderful. I'd love to uh, see it. But uh, we have other friends who treat like crazy. Yep. Uh, well, this is, this, is, uh, this is crucial to food production because mm. a lot of people don't know that bees are not just, you know, kept to pollinate what's in the area and then make some nice honey for people. Bees are produced in huge quantities by some producers to ship or truck all across the United States right. to help pollinate crops that otherwise wouldn't get pollination. Uh, apple tree uh, orchards, a lot of different orchards. Um, but almonds in particular are noted for uh, yeah. for being a huge destination for bees. Mm-hmm. You know, we've heard of snow snowbirds, human beings who are snowbirds. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of bees from the upper Midwest are snow bees. They they go to mm-hmm. Florida. And they pollinate the uh, the almond groves in the in the winter time. Yeah, that's, that's the almond groves are actually part of the problem too. I know. Too, because I know. <laughs> because the, the bees suffer a lot of loss en route to and from uh, their normal locations to these almond orchards. And almond uh, trees are use they use a lot of water. Mm-hmm. They help exacerbate climate change. And uh, also the almond milk production has skyrocketed the consumption of almonds, which is not a very earth-friendly crop, frankly. Yeah. Well, we, we've had conversations on this program mm-hmm. about almond, ver- almond milk versus cow milk, and we come down on the side of cow milk, and that's one of the reasons right there. But, uh, yeah, the, um, yeah we, we, our, our first bees that we bought were from, they, they, they had traveled to California. They came back from California. Actually, we bought them uh, literally, I think, a couple days after they mm-hmm. arrived back from California, mm-hmm. and they did not do well. They were delivered to us on April 14th, which is one reason they didn't. And that used to it's be an okay time. Yeah. Used to be an okay time to deliver bees, but climate has shifted. The the seasons are shifting. And again, part of the problem. Note to would-be bee owners, it's better to have uh, have the uh, the option of uh, choosing the date instead of being told that you've got to, have, you've got to pick mm-hmm. them up or buy them on this date. Because that yeah. date can sometimes turn out to be a horrible you know, horrible conditions to move bees in. But um, 
So I don't know, is there anything to do about this uh, this problem? I mean, I guess we we kind of wait and see uh, where it goes. Plant pollinator plants. Just just plant is for now. Yeah. If you can do anything, put in a lot of pollinators. Yeah, because it does sound like food is a big part Food's of their problem when you bigger. when you got monoculturing going on. Hey, thanks, Kathy, and thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy, and myself, Ed Fallon. Uh, thanks also to our local small business partners. David Drake, Family Psychiatry, Western Optometry, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Architecture by Synthesis, and Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Birds and Bees Urban Farm, Bold Iowa, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, and Catholic Peace Ministry. And also, thanks to Des Moines Irish Session for our bumper music. Thanks for joining us, folks. We'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.